to wine. We're talking about an awesome, powerful God, a God that holds the world in the palm of his hand. I mean, when we begin to just think about all of that, all of who he is, the amazingness of God, it's a little overwhelming. When we begin to read the scriptures of all that he has done and all that he is doing and all that he will do, it's just a little bit overwhelming because sometimes we hear and we read and we think about this God who can do all of these things, and then there's a part of us that opens our eyes to this world. And we live in a world that's full sometimes of anger and frustration and war. And we live in a world that's full of car wrecks. And we live in a world that's full of little babies that don't make it. And tragic accidents. This country is fighting against this country. And these things have happened, and there's all of this sometimes pain. Sometimes there's all of this suffering. And we take what we know of this God that speaks, and things are created in calm storms and walks on water, and that we live in the tension of there's, man, this world that we see now. And for some of us, this causes quite a bit of tension. And this raises quite a bit of questions inside ourselves. And these things, these questions, sometimes we are afraid to say them out loud. Sometimes there's things that are going on inside of our hearts, and and there's doubts. There's wonders. There's fears. There's, God, I don't understand this. Why all of this? And we begin to question our faith. And we begin to question certain things about God. And and there's all of these things. But what's amazing is that we keep it all pent up sometimes. We dare not vocalize some of these questions because, man, then they might think that, well, they might know what's going on inside of my heart. They might realize that, man, I do have some doubts and some fears and some worries. And I know that there's all of this that the Bible says is right here for me and but yet this is how I feel. And so we keep these questions on the inside. Now, one thing that I absolutely love about Judaism is whenever they are teaching their kids uh, in their schooling and in their upbringing, they are encouraged to ask questions. A matter of fact, Not only are they encouraged to ask questions, but if you don't come to school and have enough questions, you get in trouble. And so when the teacher of the class begins to teach different things, it's the student's job to say, hey, wait a second, teacher, I don't understand this and this and this and this. And how opposite of our culture today is that type of atmosphere? Because, man, we have all of these questions, but don't, don't raise them. Don't tell anybody that you don't quite understand that you have some doubts about this because then you get labeled uh, a troublemaker. Then you're an outcast. And see, it's not just in church. It's even at your work. Don't raise any questions because then you're that guy at work and and I might get fired or, or this might happen or you know what I'm talking about. And so what's funny, as we begin to go through life, and we begin to understand the rhythms of life, 
We begin to understand the rhythms of Christianity without really understanding the meaning. I'd like to give you an example of that. This is a song that all of us hopefully will be familiar with, and so let that song roll. We've got to work on our timing here. This is, we are the worst. There we go. What you gonna do? When the what? The shim shim come for you? None of y'all know the words. You know? Okay. Hey, hey. Oh, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? All right. See, we understand. We got the rhythm of the song. Oh, we know the song. Hey, police number. Nobody in here knows, but you all know the song. Now, what's dangerous is when we turn that into our Christian walk. When we begin to learn all the rhythms of being a Christian, we understand all of the this is what you do and what you don't do and all of these things, and we have no clue about what's really going on. And this summer, we've been talking about uh, a lot of parables that Jesus has been speaking. And often, probably one of the big things that he talks about a lot inside of his parables is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is one of those things, if we don't really have a good understanding on what it is, it will leave us like that song. We can move along in the rhythm, but we'll never really understand and have our eyes open to what is going on right in front of us. And so the, the scriptures are very clear that the kingdom of God is coming, and yet the kingdom of God is here. At Jesus' birth, he said, listen, the kingdom is here, and it's among you, and it's right now. And look, the blind are seen, the, the lame are walking, all of these things are happening. Jesus, in the flesh, has come. He, his birth has inaugurated the kingdom of God. And so it is alive, and, it's act- and yet there's this dimension, there's this tension of, yes, we're in this world full of pain and full of suffering, and the kingdom is still coming. But how often are we living contrary to that? where we always put the kingdom in this faraway place, this land that we are going to one day obtain and that we're going to one day get to. And so all of these questions arise, what is the kingdom of God? What does the kingdom of God look like? We need to have a good understanding. The book of Romans in chapter 14, starting with verse 14. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your food for the one whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, I want to read to you also the same portion of Scripture, but from the message version. If you confuse others by making a big issue over by what they eat or what they don't eat, you're no longer a a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, 
are persons of whom which Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion for soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach. For goodness sake, it's what God does with your life as he sets it right and puts it together and completes it with joy. It's what he does and what he puts it together and completes it with joy. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace and joy. And so the first thing I want to look at is this thing called righteousness. We could e- easily just say the doing the right thing. Now, there's two ways that the Bible speaks of, of being made righteous. The first way of being made righteous is this, that you would obey all of the laws. Everything that God has commanded, this is how you live in right standing with God. You obey everything that he says. There's one problem with this. None of us can do it. But there was one. And his name was Jesus. And he comes in. And he comes in with a new way of righteousness that says, by him being the perfect sacrifice, by his atoning blood, now we can be made righteous. And so I find my righteousness not in any of the works that I have done, but in all of the works that he has done. Because I fell short. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There was all of these lists of rules, and man, I've broken every one of them. And so have you. And Jesus came in, and he took all of that, and he said, I'll make it perfect And for this, I'll offer up myself. And by his blood, we are now made righteous. And this is the kingdom of God. Whenever um, I was, I don't know, 15 or something, mom used to haul me to church in the youth group. And it was boring. I did not like church, did not like the youth group. Because for the most part... I couldn't tell you about church because I wasn't really paying attention to that part. But the youth group part, um, for the most part, this is what I was taught. I was taught that to be a follower of Christ, this is what it looks like. You don't listen to this type of music. You don't watch these types of shows and A, B, C, and D. And it was very much a list kind of thing. And if you did those things, you are kind of outside of the group. And, and whatever you do, there's like one car, don't listen to Jimi Hendrix, you know, whatever you do, which I loved, still love Jimi Hendrix, you know. And, and then I go out and I buy this big poster of Jimi Hendrix because, of course, they say don't do it, so that's what I got to do. And I, I put it in my wall. And I'm like, man, I'm going to learn how to play some Jimi Hendrix songs, you know, a little bit of rebellion there. And, uh, but I, I put it up and my mom sees the poster and she just feels like God says to her, don't say anything about the poster. Like, what's, there's nothing wrong with the poster. And youth back then was this list of things. And it's what Paul is addressing right here to the Romans. And see, 
in first century, there's all of these discussions that's beginning to take place because now they're living underneath the law of grace. And for so long, they've lived underneath all of these other laws that said, this is what you have to do. So now, now there's all of these questions of, well, what can we eat? What can we not eat? And then, and then all of a sudden, there's people that are coming to the face like, yes, we could eat pork now. Oh, it was off limits for so long. But now the beauty of the pork shop is right here and we could eat it. And then there's other Jews that are like, no, what is he doing? You can't eat the pork chop. Like, no, we're underneath grace now. Pork chops are good. And then others are like, we're eating shrimp too. Shrimp's allowed. We, we couldn't have it. And so there's this tension of like, we don't know what to do. And it's so easy to just make it into a law. Oh, well, this is what Jesus says is good, and this, this is what Jesus says is not good, and Jimi Hendrix is not good, and shrimp is not good, and, this is, and then we just want to make the list, and this is how we find our own righteousness, given by this list of things that we do or don't do. And Paul is saying this, like, you are missing it if this is what you think. If you think that the kingdom of God is a matter of eating and drinking, if you think that this is what makes you righteous before God, if anything else other than his blood... You have missed it. He's like, the kingdom of God is this righteousness and this peace and this joy and this brotherly love. And so there's this realization that as we start to partake in some of our freedoms, don't cause your brother to sin. So if your brother has a problem with shrimp, don't go and order the six-piece huge jumbo shrimp cocktail and eat it right in front of them. Don't do that. And so being a good pastor... Uh, a couple weeks ago, Chris Stanley, which has, he's flown out, he's our keyboard player, he flew to Hawaii this morning, and uh, yeah, rough life, I know, right? But um, he was on a diet, and he lost 22 pounds in eight weeks, guy killed it, um, but we go out to eat one day, and I forgot he was on the diet, and so I ordered first, and we're eating dinner, and I think I had, I was like, yeah, let me get the uh, steak, and a baked potato with everything on it. And then Chris orders, he's like, house salad. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I forgot. What am I going to do? Man, this is a good steak. <laughs> Chris, oh, don't you want it? Oh, it smells so good. And the Bible's saying, don't do this. Don't be like your master with Chris. He's saying, like, if it goes, just don't do it. Wait. Refrain from these things, and this is the kingdom of God. There is this reality that, man, we are just to love one another and to be them for And if it means me eating a salad, man, I'll eat a salad with you, buddy. And then I'll go home and eat the steak. <laughs> the kingdom of God is righteous. It's not in this eating, and it's not in this drinking. See, there's this confusion back in the day. Should we get circumcised? Should we not? Can we eat this? Can we not eat this? There's different things for different people, and what causes your brother to stumble? Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. And so, and so it, it brings about this other question. Well, does that mean since I'm living inside of his righteousness that I could just go and do whatever I want? No. No, you can't. It means that now you can go and do whatever he wants. See, living underneath the kingdom of God means, God, now I'm not just free to do what I want. I'm free to do what you want. And so whatever you tell me might be wrong for me, I will stop doing it. Whatever you have for me, whether it's different from this brother or this sister, Lord, to be inside your kingdom, to live inside your kingdom, I'll do that because I'm going to live righteous unto you by your blood, not any of my works, but everything that you have done. This is the kingdom of God 
of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. Please turn with me to the book of Luke. Book of Luke in chapter 19. Luke 19 and verse 41. Jesus approaching Jerusalem. Getting ready. This is the, the last week of his life. Getting ready to face the cross. Coming in to Jerusalem. The party is going on. There is celebration for Christ. There's people laying down palm trees. There's, I mean, it is a party. Christ has come to town. And this is what we read. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. And they're going to level you and your children within you to this ground. And they will not leave one stone unturned because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, this is crazy because if any time there's a time just to be partying, it's right now. The people are in good cheer. They are crying, oh, yes, Jesus has come, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then Jesus starts to weep. He begins to cry. And what gets me is, is this part where he says, because he's talking to the Pharisees at this point, because right before that, uh, the Pharisees rebuked him or telling him to rebuke his disciples, saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples for these things that they're, they're doing, telling them to keep, keep silent. And so Jesus turns and he talks to them, and he says this, and even you should have known this time. I love that, that kind of like, and even you, out of anybody, you should know. If anybody can know, you should know these things. And he's looking at them, and he says these things, and he gives us two warnings. And the first war- warning is one that you should know the things which make for your peace. The things which make for your peace. And then the second Warning is what he says right there at the end, that you would know the time of your visitation. So these are two things that apparently these guys are clueless about. They don't understand the terms of their peace that Christ is offering, and they don't understand the times in which they are living in. Jesus is saying, listen, you've begun to follow the rhythms. You understand the law. And you read all these things, and you try to teach people, but you have no clue about what's really going on. Because the fact is, Christ has come, and he's standing right in front of you, Emmanuel, God with us, and you're still searching for him. You're missing the kingdom now. Why are you missing it? One, you don't know the terms of peace. Two, you don't understand the times. And so which naturally causes us, to ask the question, well, Lord, do I understand your terms of peace? Do I understand the times in which I'm living in? Jesus is ushering in the kingdom. And in Luke 14, he tells this story. He tells the story of this king that goes out and there's a war. And he needs to send, figure out whether or not, counting the cost, whether or not his 10,000 can beat their 20,000. And if he thinks, oh, man, what, what am I going to do? He sends them terms of peace and God says this is like the kingdom of God matter of fact let's just turn there Luke 14 
uh, in verse 31, what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether or not he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still great ways away off, he sends delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So there's conditions to these peace that Christ is offering. He's saying it here in this parable. He's saying it here to these Pharisees as he's coming into Jerusalem. And what is that? He says, so likewise, whatever you do and do not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. So in other words, there's these conditions of peace, and these conditions to first enter into the peace that Christ has for us is to be his disciple. And to be his disciple means what? To follow him. It's that simple. That we would leave all. And actually in, verse four, in chapter 14, right before there, he just finishes turning to the crowd and saying, and look at them, listen, all of you guys that are following me, if you're not willing to leave father, mother, brother, sister, all of these things, give up everything that you have and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And these are the terms of peace that Christ is offering. If you want to live inside the kingdom, you must be subject to the king. And see, there's this reality that he is king over all right now. You are living in this kingdom whether you like it or not, whether you call yourself a follower of Christ or not. He is ruling and he is reigning and he is sovereign over all, over everything. And so the conditions, though, of living inside of the kingdom and righteousness and peace and joy is that we would find ourselves submitted to the king. Submitted to his lordship. That we would know these conditions of peace, being submitted to to him. The next thing is that we would have a clear understanding of the time. Like I said, God was right there, right with them, and they were missing it. How often... Do we try to defy, defy our seasons because it's not come, coming packaged in the way that we think it should look? I try really hard to wear flip-flops in the winter. <laughs> it only lasts for a while. <laughs> if it starts to snow, I got to put on the shoes. But I'm trying so hard to defy my season. Matter of fact, this week... Um, I was talking to a couple, and we were just talking about different generations and things. And I just talked about how it's funny how we, we as a people don't really know how to live in the now and that we're trying to define the season in which God has placed us. And there's this kind of mindset of there's the younger generation and the older generation. And what's funny to me is how sometimes the older generation can miss their season. And see, they come to this point where... God's saying, now everything that you've obtained and everything that you've learned, I want you to give it away to someone else. And yet, what kind of, you know, it really confounds me is how somebody that could be 70 years old and still trying to go up. It's like, no, you need to give that away. And then there's these younger kids that have this kind of attitude of, man, I know everything. And like, that's not your season. You don't know anything. You need to be learning stuff. You're on that uphill, learn more. And yet they're trying to teach. And it's like, you're, you're missing your season. I go to some of these pastors' conferences, and I sit at these tables, and, and there's these young pastors like me. They've been pastoring for like three or five years, and they think they know what they're doing. And they're like trying to tell me what to do. I'm like, dude, shut up. Let's talk to these guys. Man, this guy's been pastoring for 15 and 20 years. I'm pretty sure he knows more than I do. Yeah, you might have a few new cool little things or whatever. You wear jeans when you preach. You're cool. Like, dude, you've missed it. 
You're trying to defy your season. And see, maybe the best illustration of this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the man. He was in the wilderness. People were gathering. Crowds were coming. He was baptizing people. His ministry was growing. Boom, boom, boom. All of this stuff was happening. And, man, prepare the way of the Lord. But then that season changed because the Lord came. And now he finds himself in prison. Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. It's a different season. How bad would it have been if he would have tried to defy his season and still tried to increase? You have to know your season of life. And Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's coming into the party, and everyone else is having a good time, and he's crying. He's crying because, listen, guys, you don't even know what's before you. You're missing your season. There's these terms of peace. There's this commitment of peace that I'm bringing and I'm longing to give to you. Matter of fact, Matthew says, I'm like this hen that's longing to gather in these chicks and just bring you underneath my wings. But you've got to accept my terms. You've got to accept, and that is that you would leave all to follow me, that I would be the Lord over your life. And that's how you are going to experience righteousness because you can't do it on your own. And that's how you're going to experience peace because you can't do that on your own either. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. The kingdom of God is joy. I got a, this, this last week, um, the, let, me, let me say, by saying, the, the enemy was trying everything he could to steal my peace. All these type of things were going wrong. And what I had to keep reminding myself, and honestly, he won the battle quite a few times this week with me. But what I had to keep reminding myself was, the enemy's not after my stuff. He doesn't care about the car breaking down. He doesn't care about the pipes busting out the house. He doesn't care about this happening with the money. He doesn't care about all of these things that went wrong. He's trying to get me. When he's out to steal, he's not tr- he don't care nothing about money. He's out to steal your peace. He's out to steal your joy. He is after you. And I had to keep reminding myself, man, this is just... He's trying to get me down. Lord, help me to focus back on the kingdom. Because the kingdom means I can live in the state of peace even in the midst when there's confusion all around me. I can have joy even in the midst of sorrow. I can find these things. And, and what I find is the more I learn about God is that there's this peace and this joy and they walk hand in hand. They really come alongside each other. And they're not dependent on my circumstances. When everything is right and when everything goes wrong, I can still have peace. I can still have joy because those are the terms in which I accepted and which he gave. And so there's this reality of him saying, I offer these to you, but then there's also I accept. And because now my life is yours, I can now live in that perfect peace. I can now not just search for peace, but bring it with me. I don't look for joy, but I bring it with me because he gave it to me. In Isaiah, chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 61, familiar portion of Scripture, verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort 
all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them what? To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruins, the desolations of many generations. And so there's a speaking, and there's God giving us beauty for ashes, and there's, there's joy in the place of mourning, but there's this reality of there's desolation all around. And God's saying, I will rebuild. And see, there's this, there's this ancient story of when the, uh, the temple of God had been destroyed had been leveled. It was nothing but rubble and ashes. And the people had been uh, carried off into captivity. Now years and years and years later, they begin to go back. And they begin this, this, this people group, the, the children of Israel, find themselves coming back together to this land. And they begin to gather at the temple. And when they gather at the temple, it's just ruins. And all of a sudden, the glory of God begins to show up. In the ruins. And the people began to praise in the midst of that. And that is where the word Shekinah comes from, if you've ever heard it. It means when God shows up in unexpected places, when He shows up in the midst of the ruins. When he shows up in the midst of the rubble and the ashes. And he says, even in, there's going to be ashes and there's going to be beauty, but even in the midst of it, I will bring it. I will give peace and I will give joy even when you don't understand why you feel this peace. Even when everything within you wants to mourn, God just says there's a certain joy that comes with living inside of his kingdom. But there's the reality that the enemy is trying to steal it. He's trying to steal, to take away every bit of this kingdom from you. The kingdom of God is righteousness. The kingdom of God is peace. The kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. All in him. All in the works that he has done. There is the reality that I am righteous, and yet I am being made righteous. I am righteous not because of anything that I have done, but because of everything that he has done. And so now that I have accepted his terms, I am now being made right. And yet I am righteous. There is a peace that passes all understanding, even in the midst of the storm. There is a joy that's unspeakable. There's a joy that can't even be put into words. One last story before I close. This last week, we, pay, we prayed for a young girl, Courtney. She had to go in for heart surgery. How old is she, seven? Seven. And uh, they, the parents knew about this actually from the age of three, that there was a certain valve in her heart, heart type thing that wasn't working, and they were hoping that it would kind of get better by this age. It didn't happen, and so she had to go into surgery. And so they're there in the hospital, and mother and father and brother and Courtney, seven-year-old Courtney, and she's laying on the bed. And, and imagine being that mother where your little girl is getting ready to go into heart surgery. Imagine what you're feeling. Heart's beating a little bit faster. And Courtney 
looks at her mom and says this, Mom, don't worry. God's got this. God's got this. She's living inside the kingdom. You see, they had hoped that all of this would have been taken care of. They had hoped that maybe the surgery wouldn't have to happen. They were hoping that they would have had the report of, no, everything's healed and we don't have to do the surgery. But even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of having to go under the knife, she looks up to her mom and says, Mom, don't worry. I've accepted God's terms of peace, and God's got this. It's not mine to worry about, but God's got this. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you are a child of God, you are living underneath the kingdom of God, and he's got this. Whatever problem you're facing, he's got this. He is the God that makes things right. He is the God of peace, and he is the God of joy. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your kingdom. As a matter of fact, Lord, we just pray your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, your will be done in my life. Your will. Lord, we just pause for a moment. I ask that you speak to everyone's heart in this room. If there's anything that they're doing that's contrary to your will, reveal it to their hearts right now. If in any way we've lived outside of this brotherly love, Lord, that Paul has talked about, Lord, reveal it to our hearts. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be.